episode of the Blended Science Podcast. I've literally come back from the brink of death mm-hmm. and I'm still here talking about it, fighting about it. I'm grateful for that. Um, I think God still has my best interest at heart. Hi friends, welcome to the Blended Science Podcast, a space where we talk about science and think about how to apply it in our day-to-day lives. In today's episode, I have a phenomenal woman. She is resilient. Uh, She holds a master's degree in computer engineering and has 10 years of experience in the field of biometrics, specializing in fingerprint recognition. She loves programming and research, and therefore she has published several articles, which are also highly cited, and has an age index of six. She is very good at image processing and pattern recognition. She loves cooking, enjoys reading, watching movies and series. She loves kids and dogs, and she really loves being an aunt. Now, Unanto suffers from a digestive illness called chronic intestinal pseudo-obstruction, abbreviated as CPO, and she has been sick since 2013. So in this episode, we'll be using the abbreviation CPO throughout. Now, just to give you a bit of an idea, CPO is a rare, severe disease characterized by failure of the intestinal tract to propel its contents, which results in a clinical picture that mimics a mechanical obstruction in the absence of any lesion that occludes the gut, and therefore pseudo, right, which means it's a false obstruction. Now, we'll hear more about her condition as she usually shares on her pages on youtube and tiktok and uh, on her tiktok she has just over 1 million views i always check her channels to get some encouragement and to get some updates on her condition so in this episode we'll do a deep dive into her journey with sipo learn about the struggles of living with a chronic illness and we hope to bring more stories like these in this podcast so that those living with chronic illnesses can be encouraged those in the healthcare system can be aware and those who own medical aids can be sympathetic now without any further ado here's today's episode nondo thank you for your time welcome to the podcast thank you Gazi, for having me Uh, it's my pleasure nondo now let's kick this off not all with just telling us about your childhood uh, to the day of diagnosis in 2013 up to now and just updating us how you are currently doing um let me just talk about how life was before I was diagnosed if you don't mind sure 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 um so I've always been a science geek even throughout high school growing up, I was that odd kid who was reading encyclopedias for fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was very into science. Yeah. So when I went to varsity, I got interested in computer um, computer science. Mm-hmm. And I decided to do computer science and statistics, uh, which I enjoyed really well. And I performed quite well at school. Mm. Um, I did my honors and my master's. I finished my master's in 
it took me a year and a half to do my master's and then I got a permanent job with uh, CSIR, which is um, one of the biggest research institutions in South Africa. Um, then I started working there in the field of biometrics, specifically fingerprints. Um, I was developing algorithms to process fingerprints, new ways of processing fingerprints, um, classification, matching, all of that stuff. Um, so that was my my uh, my stuff, and um, I really enjoyed um, doing that. Fast forward to 2013 November, I started getting sick. I had gone home to my parents' house to help my little sister prepare for her exams. And when I was coming back, on the day that I was coming back, I started getting this really severe heartburn. And I told my mom about it. She was like, no, just try some milk. Um, it will help. Because uh, while I was growing up, I did suffer from ulcers. So I was used to having a heartburn, but it had never been this severe. So I drank some milk. It didn't do anything. And then I passed by my family doctor before taking the drive to Pretoria. I was given some injection. Um, I started driving. As I was driving, I could feel that my pain is getting worse and worse. By the time I was halfway, I could barely sit straight in the car while driving. I was hunched over in the driving seat. Um, and over the steering wheel, I was hunched over over the steering wheel driving. It was so uncomfortable. By the time I got to Pretoria, I actually had to drive straight to the hospital. And I was admitted for a week. Um, they told me that I had a virus infection on my intestines. Um... And then they said, they treated me for a week, and then they said uh, I was going to be okay. I was discharged, uh, went home, got another week at home um, to recover before going back to work. However, I never recovered. I went back to work, and every time I would eat anything, I would be in severe pain. Um... It was horrible. Nothing that I did was helping. Um, yeah. I saw so many doctors. I was told different things. I was told I had food intolerances. I was told to go gluten-free, dairy-free, paleo. Um, I tried all sorts of diets. I was told I had IBS. I was told I had um, in inflammatory bowel disease. I was told I had endometriosis. I was even tested for celiac disease. Mm. Uh, yeah, they did a lot of things, but none of the things that they said I had were making my situation better. I was taking treatments for all of these things that I was told that I have, but the treatments weren't, weren't working. Mm. And then in two, late 2000, around June 2014, I met my current um, GI specialist. Initially, he did some tests and um, he told me that I had a mega colon, which means that my colon was severely distended. Uh, it was 
blown up like a balloon. Mm. It didn't have any features. It wasn't contracting. Mm. Um, I also, he said I had slow transit constipation. So that's what he was treating me for. I tried different things, uh, different bowel regimens mm. that he prescribed for me, but nothing was helping. Uh, eventually, he decided to do surgery where he would take out my large intestine because basically it wasn't working. Mm. So he went ahead. I had an operation on June 10th in, um, no, July July 10th. I had operation in July 10th okay. in 2014 where he took out my large intestine. Yeah. After that, I was okay for about a year. I got symptom relief. I was able to go to the bathroom. I was able to eat without severe pain. I was still experiencing like some pain, but it wasn't severe. Mm-hmm. I was able to return back to eating normally. And I thought my problems were gone. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, after about a year, my symptoms came back even worse than before. Uh I started losing a lot of weight. I couldn't eat. I started vomiting. Every time I would eat, I would vomit. I would be in severe pain. And I started noticing that um, my stomach started looking like I was pregnant. It would swell up and I would look like I could easily be seven months pregnant. It was mm. excruciating. And mind you, at that time, I'm still required to go to work full time. Um I still have a lot of projects. I I have to be accountable at work. Mm. Um, it was really difficult. Uh, I kept going back to my doctor. He was at a loss for a few years trying to help me. Mm. Um, it took all of four years for him to finally find the diagnosis for me, which was Zipo. Um, once he had found that uh, once he had diagnosed me, I think he had to go back to medical journals to read up on my symptoms Mm -hmm. and my clinical um, results because the clinical tests that they were doing. So what would happen is every time I would have an attack or a flare-up, I would go to the hospital, they would image me, they would take x-rays, and the x-rays would show that I have bowel obstruction or an ileus, mm-hmm. basically what that means is that the intestines are paralyzed, they are not moving. But when they would take CT scans, it wouldn't show any physical blockage. Mm-hmm. So it would mean that it's a pseudo blockage. Mm-hmm. My body thinks that there is a blockage on the la- on the large intestine, but there really isn't a block. Why am I saying large intestine? My My body would think there is a blockage on my intestine, but when when it's imaged, there's actually no blockage. So because the body and the brain thinks there's a blockage, it's not allowing the food or gas or fluids to move through the digestive tract. So it would stay in one place, build up, build up, and my bowel would just inflate like a balloon, causing my stomach to inflate, and then everything else would come back up and it would just throw up, throw up. Hmm. So, yeah, that's how I got my diagnosis. Hmm. Hmm. So, leading into your diagnosis, um, how are you currently doing? What does your 
diet look like currently? I know you have some tubes that are helping you with um, with your feet. Oof. Yeah, okay. So after my diagnosis, um, we tried different medications yeah. to try and manage the illness. One of the medications, we tried, um, there's a medication called erythromycin. It's actually an antibiotic, but I'm using it chronically. Hmm. It's meant... It's an antibiotic, but mm. one of its um, side effects is that it increases the the emptying of your stomach. Okay. So by doing so, it's supposed to improve your motility. I also tried other different medications. I've tried um, motilium, which is uh, domperidone. I've tried um, Clopamon, I've, I've tried different medications, yeah. but none of them were helping me. I tried different diets. I even, at some point, I was on a liquid diet, like only liquids. Yeah. Um, eventually, that failed also. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2020, things got really bad. I wasn't tolerating any food. I was vomiting everything I was eating. Um, and I lost a lot of weight. I got down to like 39 kilos mm. and I was skeletal. That's when my doctor decided to place a feeding tube. Initially, I had the the nasal feeding tube. Then I would get formula, you know, like baby formula, but like, yeah, okay. formula basically um, to be fed through my nose. Mm-hmm. Um I had that for about three months, and then when it became clear that my situation was not changing, he decided to place a surgical feeding tube. I got a PEG tube. Um, I think I had that for, I think, about between six to eight months. I'm not really 100% sure, but it was around that the time period. And my illness progressed to my stomach. It started affecting my stomach because initially it was just on my bowel. Then it started affecting my stomach to Mm. which um, my stomach started not being able to empty the way it should. Mm. I would would, um, run my feeds, but they would just stay in my stomach. They would stay in my stomach and they wouldn't move into the small intestine until I vomit. So the vomiting came back. Uh, I wasn't able to keep anything down. I continued to lose weight again. Uh, Lost a lot of weight again. Um, Went back to the doctor. He did some tests and found out that my stomach wasn't emptying. So we had to change to another feeding tube called a gastrojuginal tube, which accesses both the stomach and the small intestine. Um, so then I was fed directly through my intestine. But because at that time my motility was so bad, uh, he even said that it was the peristalsis was going backwards. So my bowel was rejecting the tube. It would, every time he would place it, it would push it back to my stomach and I wouldn't be able to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be able to use it for like, a few days, and then it would get pushed back into my stomach. So uh, 
we then had to he then realized that the tube wasn't working so at that point he decided to separate the tube into separate tubes a a gastric tube and a duodenal tube the gastric tube is used to drain the fluids and the secretions that drain that build up in my stomach since it doesn't empty on its own and i also suffer from bile reflux which means bile that's in my small intestine gets refluxed back into my stomach um because of my horrible motility and then when it's in my stomach it causes vomiting i vomit like really green bitter stuff mm-hmm. So the only way to stop me from vomiting was to place this drain which is which drains 24 hours a day. Yeah. Um my stomach it just drains my stomach. It's free drainage for 24 hours a day and that's how I'm able to not vomit every day anymore. Mm-hmm. I still get nauseous. I still struggle with nausea, but I have a lot of medication for that and it's uh, it's able to keep me going. Yeah. And as long as my 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 drainage my drainage bag is attached then i'm able to avoid vomiting and then um i get fed directly into the small intestine however i'm still unable to tolerate a high enough feed rate to sustain myself mm-hmm. and for that reason i had to get a chemo port placed on my chest mm-hmm. and that's used to give me nutrition which goes directly into the veins into my heart. Yeah. It it so um the tip it's called TPN. It's total parenteral nutrition. Yeah. So that gets infused into your subclavian vein and that goes directly into your heart. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's how I get my nutrition. Mm-hmm. So it looks like you now know your your anatomy inside out. Oh yes, um I actually know more about my condition than most doctors mm. that I've seen. Mm. Um yeah. Mm. <laughs> Which is quite funny because I go to the hospital sometimes and I know more about my condition than the nurses. Mm-hmm. I I'm I'm able to access my own ports mm-hmm. and the nursing staff don't know how to access my ports. So mm. anything that has to do with my ports I do myself mm. because Um the thing is when you have a port or a central line you are very prone to infections and they can get dangerous really quickly mm. if you get an infection on your line it can turn to sepsis which is a blood infection mm. and unfortunately i got sepsis last year september sure. and it almost killed me Hmm. I had a UTI and the UTI migrated into the bloodstream and it it it, it infected my port. Yeah. But because my immune system is so weak, mm. yeah, I wasn't able to fight it off yeah. and it ended up invading my port and then got into the bloodstream. Mm. I actually almost died. I was I was I it it gave me meningitis. Mm. my lungs it infected my lungs my lungs were filling up with fluid i was drowning in my own fluid yeah. i had to be put into a coma because i lost my mind mm. due to meningitis i i i i went delirious uh, i lost my speech i wasn't able to speak apparently i was speaking gibberish i don't even have any memory of that episode mm. 
Um, I was put onto a ventilator and put into a coma. All I know is that I woke up in hospital. I was ventilated and restrained. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know how I got there. It was very scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you so much for just for raising awareness about uh, your condition. The reason why a lot of health professionals don't know much about your condition is a lot of research is usually based on case studies, you know, whereby maybe let's mm-hmm. say your your doctor decides with your consent um, decides to do to write up a paper about your condition yeah. and all the things that he's trying yeah. out, you know, all the medication he's using and all the treatments he's using to write a paper so that other people um, can read about his work. I mean, your condition, which is now quote unquote his work because he's treating you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so which is why I really want this message to be, you know, to be widespread, and um, I want health professionals to be aware. So tell me, not I know this comes in with a lot of pain. Um, I know it's. I saw on TikTok one day that you were, you are getting an infusion of ketamine to manage pain. How does pain management? How do you deal with it yeah. on a day-to-day basis? Ooh, so um, this illness is very painful. I am not gonna lie. Yeah. I deal with pain every day of my life. Yeah. Um, it's. It takes a toll, physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, and the thing is, when you have a digestive illness, especially a, a motility illness, mm-hmm. when you take pain medication, the normal um, like opioid pain medication, it can slow down your digestive tract even further. Mm-hmm. So while they are trying to treat your pain, they're actually making your illness even worse and um that's one of the things me and my doctor sometimes tend to fight about Mm -hmm. because it's very difficult to live in pain every day and i want my pain to be treated but he doesn't want to treat my pain because he doesn't want to make the illness worse and i completely understand that but at the same time i have to have some quality of life I have tried um, different um, medications like Tramacid, Sinaleve, which were not effective. I've tried morphine patches. And just recently, I've gotten um, a pain management doctor mm-hmm. who has actually helped me quite a bit with the pain aspect. Okay. I had my first spinal nerve block injections. Um, in June mm-hmm. um, yes so they inject um, some anesthetic I think yeah. or some, some, some sort of injection onto your nerves into the nerves that correspond with the abdomen um, to help uh, turn off the signals that the nerves send to your brain the pain signals yeah. that the nerves send to your brain yeah and in addition to that, um, she also did a ketamine infusion okay. um, to help me with um, the, because I have two types of pain. I have the normal 
ab- abdominal pain, which is a chronic pain that I get every day, mm-hmm. can get quite bad. But I've also been struggling with one of my tubes that is it's been getting really irritated and bleeding and causing a lot of pain. Yeah. So how the pain specialist explained it to me is that the spinal nerve would help with the chronic pain. The spinal nerve injection would help with the chronic pain. And then because um, my tube is actually inflamed and irritated and bleeds and all that stuff that the ketamine might be able to help. Mm. And what's really nice about these treatments is that they work on a more long-term basis. They can last anywhere from three to six months. Mm. So you only go there like every three months or every six months as opposed to needing to go there like maybe every month or Mm. like taking medication every day. Well, I still have to take my medication, but my medication is now more effective because of those treatments that I did. It's able to control the pain a little bit better, Mm. Mm. which is is great. I, I do feel like... I feel alive again. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. yeah, no, I can even see it in your videos. You, you definitely seem a bit more lighter. So now, talk to me about um, yeah. the transition. I know you did mention that you're unable, well, you didn't mention, but I know now that you're unable to work um, due to the condition that you're living with. How was that transition? Because I know... You know, you're a very intelligent person, you know, you're an A student and, you know, um, you're classical net as you describe yourself. How was that transition like? It was very hard. It was very hard. Um, when my doctor first brought it up, mm-hmm. uh, when my my health just started going down, downhill last year, yeah. I I wasn't on board. I was very in denial about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I was very sick. Um, I knew it, but I still believed that I could still be able to work, that if my workplace made, you know, some accommodations for me, I would be able to work from home, um, like for most days and stuff like that. Yeah. But then things went really bad last year. I remember I spent almost three months in hospital straight because I couldn't go home without nutrition and medical aid wasn't wasn't paying for TPN. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had been paying for my fees out of pocket for the longest time, which was so expensive, like around 7,000 rand a month. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about medical aids. You, you don't understand how difficult it is when you are not able to eat, they tell you that they don't pay for nutrition because nutrition is not a medical necessity. Mm. But when you're unable to eat, it's literally something that's going to keep you alive. Mm. So I had to stay in hospital for almost three months because I couldn't go home without TPN. And in that time, I was still fighting with medical aid and I was sick. I had, I think I had three surgeries in that time in hospital. Mm. Um, and I was so depressed. I was so depressed. I wasn't able to work because of just how sick I was, um, how much pain I was in, and also how depressed I was. I didn't have any motivation. Hmm. Um, 
I still tried though. Uh, I I did have my laptop with me. I would still try try to attend meetings, but it just it wasn't working. Yeah. It 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 really wasn't working. I was forcing myself, and it wasn't working. Um, and my doctor was telling me that the stress is also not good for me mm-hmm. because if you are not well mentally, it it really affects your physical health as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, after having, I had some conversations. I I spoke about it with my family and my husband, um, and they they got through to me. Um, Mm. They they made me see that like it it might be in my best interest. I only get one life. Hmm. My health is important. I can always get a career at some point later in life yeah. when I'm more stable, but I only have one life. Hmm. So um, eventually I I said, okay. And hmm. I still struggled um, to, to get the process of the medical boarding um, going because I was still really struggling with my health and I was in and out of hospital. Um, I was actually not working for a full year before we actually got the process for medical boarding going, which I was officially medically boarded in February of this year, end of February. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, no, you know, your story about work, it it really, um, really breaks my heart. And, um, you know, (laughs) whenever I feel like I want to complain about work, I just think about you know I'm like yo, you know doc can't work and and here I am complaining. I I'm you know you're always in my thoughts and whenever I get a chance to even to pray, I do pray. Talking about prayer, I know a lot of people they think they mean well you know when they're like, um, why don't you pray about your situation? God can can heal you. Maybe what's your advice around that? What can people do instead of saying, you know, pray? Maybe you're not praying enough or, you know, as if it's your fault uh, type of thing. Yeah. Um, I get that a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really frustrating um, because, you know, you will think that um, as someone who's Christian, you are supposed to be understanding. You're supposed to be non-judgmental. You are supposed to have compassion. Yeah. But when people come to my page, and even people that I know in real life, mm. like people from my church, people from back home, they would say to me, you know, you just need to open your heart to God. You just need to pray about it. You just need to repent um, and God will heal you. They make it sound like I'm I'm sick because of something that I did. They make it sound like my illness is a punishment for some sin that I committed. And they make it sound like I am not praying, that I haven't been praying for years and years for a cure. I've even gone to other people to to pray for me, people who supposedly have healing powers, you know. To, to to heal me and nothing has worked. I have I have literally approached every 
every avenue mm. that I can to try and get help for my illness. Mm. And nothing is working. I've even gone to, I'm not even going to lie, I've gone to traditional healers. Mm-hmm. I've gone to traditional healers. I've gone to spiritual healers. I've gone to doctors. I've gone to, what do you call these people? Herbalists. Mm. Mm. There's nothing I haven't tried. And mm. you will get people saying, I mean, you're already healed. Don't worry about it. Just pray, just, just pray about it. Mm. And I think to myself, okay, if I'm already healed, why am I suffering? Mm. They're like, you just need to believe that you are healed. Mm. And I, I just, I, I, I don't understand that. I, mm. you know, if you, if you come to somebody, it would be better for me if you say, you know what, I'm praying for you. I hope you heal. Mm. You know. Um, but don't come to me and say, just pray about it, you'll be fine. Mm. Or you are healed, you just need to believe. Mm. Stuff like that doesn't make sense to me. Mm. Mm. Um, and also telling me that the reason why I'm sick is because I haven't repented or I haven't accepted God in my life yeah. is not only is not only disrespectful, it's judgmental. You are making assumptions about a person you don't even know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, that's very big. You know, it's quite it's quite interesting because whenever it looks like whenever we are out of ideas, we just wanna throw in prayer and be like, hey, you know, and um, yeah. And I wanna tell you that that is that is not what true Christianity is all about. You know, so yeah. I'm really sorry that you had to go through that, and um, but you're so gracious and kind in responding nicely to <laughs> to people who follow your page. So yeah, thank you so much for that, Nonto. Nonto, I know we can talk with you for hours and hours. Um, I, I'd like to end our conversation here, and uh, and if maybe you may be kind as well, because I also uh, do lecture whenever. I teach a section around gastrointestinal disorders. If you'd be kind as well to come on, you know, just to tell our students about SIPO. Yeah, yeah. that sounds, I think I would like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it will be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually I like, to, I like to end an episode with some gratitude, um, like three things, okay. three things that you may be <laughs> grateful for. Um, I noticed... Well... Um, sorry for cutting you off. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am very happy that you asked me to come and, you know, give me a platform on your podcast. I'm very grateful. Um, yeah, I would say three things that I'm grateful for. I'm definitely grateful for my family, my husband. And my support system, basically my support system. I'm grateful for my doctors, my my medical team, my nurses. Um, I am grateful that I'm still here. I'm grateful for life. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful that I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. I I've literally come back from the brink of death, mm-hmm. and I'm still here talking about it, fighting about it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that. Um, I think God still has my best interest at heart. Mm. Um, I think he is still with me. Um, 
and I'm grateful to him for that. I think he he showed me that he is there, you know. Um, most people were losing hope when I had um, that sepsis episode. Mm. My my mom tells me that when 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 because my parents are in Kazakhstan, they had to drive to Pretoria to come see me. She tells me that when she walked into that IC room because I was in isolation and I had all the ventilators and the tubes and everything, she says she just went numb. Mm. It's like. She didn't know what to do. Yeah. She didn't think I was going to pull through. Yeah. And when she sees me now and the amazing recovery that I made, mm. it's just in awe. Mm. Mm. Um, yes. And I just am grateful to have been given this opportunity to raise awareness, to make people, to help people out there. Mm. You know, I, I, I get few comments every now and again of somebody saying you know i'm so worried i think by the symptoms that you are saying i think i might have something like that what can i do and i always Mm. tell them that no you need to approach a doctor you know tell them what's wrong try to you know yeah people feel like they can talk to me Mm. and i usually try and and give them support. Yeah. And my platforms are especially are, are there for that to try and help someone. Yeah. Because when I was going through this, there was no information about mm. what I was going through online. Because mm. I went online and tried to Google my symptoms. And even when my doctor gave me my diagnosis and I went online and tried to Google it, I kid you not, there was only three journal papers online mm. about CPO. Mm. Mm. Back then, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and if any of your listeners would like to follow my journey, they yes, can follow yes. any of my pages. Um, yes. on Instagram, I am living dash with dash cipo, yes. and on on TikTok, I am Nondo Kanyile. All right. Yeah. And you're also on YouTube, but I'll put your all your your handles on the description, yeah, so that people can just copy and paste as well. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nondo. Um, appreciate this. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your kindness. And um, yeah, let's let's end here. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. There you have it, friends. Nondo's story always leaves me astounded if you are living with a chronic illness please know that you're not alone and do not lose hope i hope this story has encouraged you may we find a support group where you can find people who are going through the same thing thank you so much guys for tuning in thank you for supporting the podcast and make sure that you share this with your friends with your healthcare workers and remember to follow Nonto on her socials so that you can be updated about her journey. Until next time, I'm your host, Unkazim Kwanazi. I'm out. Oh.